Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. Father, we approach you as the God who is holy. We know that your word says that there's none like you. We know it says that no man can see you and live. We know that your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You are holy in a way that we, we literally cannot even come close to comprehending. We cannot even start to begin to get how great you are, Lord God. And we confess that today we, we need to see it. As we close out Malachi, Lord, and we've been talking about how great you are, we need your help. Because we don't want to go through the religious motions like these people were going through. We want to meet with you, Lord. We want to hear from you. And in order for that to happen, God, you've got to send your Holy Spirit. You've got to send your Spirit to apply your word to our hearts so that, so that we have an encounter with you. And Lord, one more time, I, I confess just utter weakness. <laughs> a weak body, a weak heart complete inability to bear any spiritual fruit. Um, and so, God, I pray that you would bear much fruit by the work of your, of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you teach us through your word. I pray that your church that you love would be built up. And I pray most of all, God, that you would be exalted. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. Malachi chapter 3 and 4. We're closing it out today. Um, finishing up our series, Great is the Lord. And kind of reflecting on the series this week, it's been a pretty in-your-face series. Um, I think the reason it's been a pretty in-your-face series is because it's a pretty in-your-face book. Um, and, and to remind you, if you've forgotten or if you're, today's your first day, God was using this guy Malachi around 430 years before Jesus came um, to stir up the people of Israel. He wanted to wake them up because they were going through the religious motions. They were just kind of bringing to God this cold orthodoxy, and God wanted to wake them up to see His greatness. He wanted to turn their eyes back to His glory. Um, and so we're going to see this one last time today as we look at what are literally the last words of the Old Testament. And I'll just tell you up front, we got another in-your-face topic. Today we're talking about the final judgment. And let me just note before you guys, so I can win you over to my side, Note how Bill Fowler gives me the divorce sermon, and then he gives me the final judgment sermon, and he goes to California. I don't know what that is. Um, but before we dive in, let me say this. When it, when it comes to the topic of the final judgment, um, a lot of us want to avoid it. Or a lot of us maybe want to kind of soft sell it to our friends, because maybe we're embarrassed by what the Bible says, maybe... It just comes across too harsh, and so we, we run from it. And as we start, guys, what I want to remind you of is that this is the Word of God. And every Word of God proves true. And so the most loving thing we can ever do in any situation is, very plainly, tell the truth of what Scripture says. And so that's what we want to do today. Nothing more, nothing less, um, as we talk about this tough topic. Now... Most of you guys know that CBC is an Apple church. 
We're Mac people. So when you, when you come to uh, theological things, you've got open-handed issues where we can disagree, and then you've got closed-handed issues that are non-negotiable. And for us, Apple computers are non-negotiable. Well, David Cleland, who just started, came on staff three weeks ago with an IBM computer. Yeah, he did. I know. Can you believe it? Um, but we've already bullied him into getting a Mac. Three weeks is all it took. But let, let me remind you that Apple has not always been in the position of power. There, there was a time in the late 90s when Michael Dell, the Dell computer guy, literally said, and I quote, Steve Jobs should shut it down and give the money back to the shareholders. Right, laughter is right, Travis. That's how we should respond to that. <laughs> shut it down and give the money back to the shareholders. And for a while, it looked like Mr. Dell was right. By 2003, Apple was trading for just a dollar a share. Bad investment. And then comes the iPod. And then iTunes. And then the iPhone. And pretty soon, the investment stops looking so foolish. Pretty soon, it's Mr. Dell who's looking a little bit foolish. And for the people who hung in there um, since 2003 with Apple, they've made 130 times on their money. Pretty good investment. But here's what I, I want to hold out to you guys this morning. That as Christians, we have an investment that makes that look like monopoly money. And from the outside looking in, just like it was with Apple, it's going to seem foolish. People are going to look at us and they're going to say, nah, bad investment, man. Not worth it. But the scripture tells us that there is a payout that's coming. A payout that will be just infinitely glorious for those who are in on the investment. And one that will be infinitely horrific for those who have missed out. So what I want us to do today is to look at the reality of this coming payout. And then consider how we might live in light of it. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through the end of the chapter, I'll read it in full. And again, let me remind you guys, there are 2 billion people on this planet who have no access to this book. None. And so for us to have this book in our laps, it is the grace of God to us. Don't get bored with it. Allow that just to be sweet to your soul. It's a gift from him this morning. Here's what the Bible says. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it's vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze 
says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, you you guys might remember as we've gone that the book of Malachi is structured into six distinct parts. six, Six kind of portions where God makes a charge against the people of Israel. And then they'll, they'll question him. Really? Is that really how it is? And then God will support his case and show that his position is justified as it always is. And so for the last time, we see a charge against Israel in Malachi. And here's what he says. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Literally, your words against me have been strong. You have spoken harshly against me. But you say, have we spoken against you? God explains. You've said, it's vain to serve God. Serving God is a bad investment. Get out while you can. And these people had two reasons that they believed that this was the case. We see the first one in verse 14. They're saying, what's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Notice the monetary language. What does it profit us? We've, we've followed his rules. We've hung our heads because of the things that we've done. And we haven't gained anything from it. We haven't benefited from God. We've made no profit on this relationship. So th- that's one reason why they think serving God's vain. And then the second comes in verse 15. We call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So not only are these people saying, it doesn't profit us to obey God. They're also looking around. And they're looking at the culture around them. And they're saying, hey, there's all these people who don't fear God. There's all these people who don't regard him or care what he said. And God's not punishing them. They're escaping. And even more than that, they're prospering. I mean, it seems like they're doing better than we are. It's, it's vain to serve God, these people are saying. We've jumped through the hoops. We've done what God's asked, and it hadn't paid off. It's a bad investment. And I think what we've seen throughout this book, you guys, is that this type of service to God is a bad investment. Serving God the way that they were serving God is vain. So here's what they were doing. They were jumping through the hoops. They were doing what God wanted them to do. And they were expecting that, all right, God's obligated to bless me now. God owes me because I've done what he said. And God's basically saying, no, that's not serving God. That's serving yourself. That's using God to get what you want. And God's got no interest in that. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in people seeing his greatness. Every other kind of service to him is vain. Now, maybe you're here and you think, this is a legitimate question though, right? I mean, is it the best investment of my life? Is it the best investment of my time, of my energy, of my resources to serve God? Is that a good investment? 
And some of y'all might be doubting that today. Some of you might have said, hey, look, I've, I've been pretty faithful. I've given it a try. And it hadn't really worked out. It's been hard. It's been messy. It's been difficult. I hadn't profited it from it. Is it really worth it to serve God? Or, or maybe you look around. Maybe you're a student and you look around at, at other students who are not walking with Christ, don't care. They're having lots of fun. They're the popular ones. Doesn't seem like there's any consequences for their actions. Is it really worth it to follow Christ? Or maybe you look around at your neighbors or in the community, and there's people who are making more money, and their names are more important than yours, and their kids are even doing better than yours, and you're saying, dude, I'm trying to serve God. Is it worth it? Or if you watch the news, it doesn't take more than a day to see that Christians are on the wrong side of history. On every issue, we've chosen wrong. Is it really worth it to serve God? Should we get out while we can? What kind of investment is this? Let's, let's see what God says. Verse 16. We're introduced to this, this new group of people. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So before God tells us why it's worth it to serve Him, He tells us about these, this group of people who feared the Lord. First time they're mentioned in the book, we don't know who they are, we don't know where they come from, but here's what we do know. They are not serving God just so they can get things from Him, and they are not going with the flow of the culture. They see God's greatness, and they have pledged their worship and their allegiance to Him. They want God for who He is. And look at the rest of the verse. I love this, y'all. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God had his eyes on that group. He heard them. He was paying attention to them. I, I picture like when I get down on my little girl's level and I hold their hands and I look them in the eyes because I want them to know that they've got daddy's full attention. These people who feared the Lord had God's full attention. And not just that, but a book of remembrance was written before him. Now, we, we don't know what this is. Uh, we don't know if this is a literal book. We don't know if it's a figurative book. It definitely kind of takes us to Revelation 20 at the final judgment when these books are laid out as God's judging people. I think there's some kind of connection there. Um, but the point is this. God is taking note of the people who serve him. He's keeping a record of it. And he's about to tell these folks, there's a payout that's coming. And for those who have served God, it's going to make Apple's investment look like peanuts. And, and y'all, from verse 17 of chapter 3 to the end of the book, basically, we've got God telling these people about the coming payout. He, he talks five times in the next however many verses about this day of the Lord. This day that is coming that he's going to set everything right. And you know what's cool is he doesn't seem obligated to tell the Michael Dells of the world about this. He's not focused on the people who are doubting and hating. He's, he's wanting to reassure the ones who have trusted him. And he's saying, y'all, on that day, when I come to set things right, it'll be worth it. The idea is kind of like this. This, uh, this week, we moved both of my little girls into the same room to free up a bedroom for the new baby we got coming. And, excuse me, um, so far we're off to a pretty good start. We've got basically, we've got this video monitor. It's kind of like a reality TV show that we get to watch every night. Um, 
But every once in a while, as we're sitting downstairs, um, the giggles will turn into whining, which pretty quickly turns into screaming, and then I'll shout commands at my kids that they will not adhere to at all. <laughs> and, and then the time comes from dad to get up from his couch and to walk upstairs and to go into their room and to set things right. I've got to figure out what's going on here, and I've got to settle the score. And the idea that we see here is that there is coming a day in human history. Don't hear this and be complacent to it, please. Do not get bored with this reality. The Bible is saying that there is coming a day when Jesus himself will enter back into his own creation. And he will set everything right. Once for all. And verse 18 tells us that this is going to be a day of distinction. Where every human being will be separated into one of two groups. The wicked, those who have not served God, or the righteous, those who have served God. And friends... What the Bible says will happen to the wicked on that day is extraordinarily frightening. It is horrific. It is worse than words can paint. And if you think, well, aren't these symbols in this symbolic language? And it, even if they were symbols, I would remind you guys that symbols are understatements, not overstatements of reality. What the Bible says is frightening. L listen to chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The Bible says that what awaits the wicked is utter destruction. Burned. Set ablaze. Forever. And this is not just an Old Testament idea. This idea is everywhere in the Bible. On that day, it will not have been in vain that you have served God. Okay, let's take a deep breath, because that's very heavy stuff. And now we move to some of the most exciting news in the Bible. So we go from some of the worst news to some of the best news in one verse, and we've got to give our hearts a time to transition. So here's what verse 2 says awaits the righteous. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There is a day that's coming, the Bible promises, when the righteous will be rewarded. And the language here takes us right to Revelation 21. And the idea is that on that day, the righteousness of God is going to break into history like a sun rising and the darkness running away from it. 
And God will remove the curse of sin once and for all. And He will bring healing to all His creatures and to His whole creation. And there will be no more death, and there will be no more dying, and there will be no more pain. This is what the Bible says is coming. And for the righteous, Malachi paints this picture of uncontained excitement. I mean, just joy that you cannot even put to words. He says it this way. You're going to be like a cat. Uh, uh, um, you are, what's singular for cattle? Just cow? You're going to be like a cow, little cow, calf? You're going to be like a calf. That's what you do. <laughs> right. There we go. We needed comic relief in this, ser- in this sermon. This is too heavy. Okay. Here we go. You are going to be like a calf. The young form of a cow. Um, cows say moo. Okay. I got it. Um, You are going to be like a calf who has been cramped up in this tiny, dark, smelly stall for way too long. And on that day, you will be let out to run and jump and be free. Or if you're a dog person, think about leaving your dog in the kennel for days and then you come home and you let that dog out and it just jumps and spins in circles. Too excited to even know what to do. On that day, I I think of one of my little girls. And if I'm gone on a long trip and delayed and they're waiting by the door for daddy to get home and finally the door opens and they run and jump up into my arms and put their arms around my neck only to realize, man, daddy's even more excited to see me than I am to see him. Eternal joy waits the believer. Eternal joy has been stored up for the righteous. This is the coming payout. Now, we've got to ask this question. If on that day of distinction, every single human being will be grouped into one of two categories, either the wicked, who have not served God, or the righteous, who have served God, which group will you be in? How do you know? Can you know? The book of Romans would say that we can know very clearly. So we're going to go there. Um, And I want to go there for two reasons. Um, First is I want you guys to see that this idea of a final judgment is not just an Old Testament thing. It's everywhere in the scriptures. But, But secondly, in the book of Romans, we see the requirements that are necessary to be counted righteous on that day. We see what it takes to be grouped with the righteous on the last day. So let's start in Romans 2. Paul talks about this day of judgment when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And in verse 6 he says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress For every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first are also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And the idea here is very, very plain. If you have lived your life for the honor and glory of God, eternal life. If you have been self-seeking or disobedient or have failed to honor Him, tribulation, tribulation, Distress, wrath, fury. 
counted with the wicked on that day. Now, some of you guys are definitely thinking, okay, I, don't, I don't, can't be sure, but generally I think I'm, I'm pretty good here. You know, most of the time I'm not disobedient. Most of the time I'm not self-seeking. I do a lot of good things for my family. I'm pretty kind. I've given some money uh, to the United Way. Me and my wife got a dog at a shelter once. I think on that day I'll be good. We got a fish on the car. Most of the time I've done this. And I would just remind you guys that before the holy God of the universe, most of the time it doesn't count for anything. He is a perfect God with a perfect standard. And he does not grade on a curve. And if we are going to stand before him, we must have a perfect score. That means if we have ever been disobedient, if we have ever been self-seeking, if we have ever failed to honor or glorify him, then the Bible says we're with the wicked on that day. And, and don't just take my word for it, okay? This is, Paul explains it further in Romans chapter 3. He says, we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. For it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he reaches this frightening conclusion in verse 19 where he says, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every human being, completely accountable to God, laid bare before him. My wife uh, does the budget in our family. Yeah, don't judge me, please. Um, I thought y'all might have laughed at that. <laughs> anyway, because she does the budget, every, every, the first week in every month, I get an email. Can you explain these charges? <laughs> Chick-fil-A, $9.74. Chipotle, $8.86. Y'all... A few months back, I went to this uh, restaurant on the corner, Latin Chicks. That was not good. I was talking my way out of that one for a long time. She's like, what is Latin Chicks? Um, <laughs> but, but here's the point. She holds me accountable down to the cent. And, and the Bible says that on this day, on this day of the Lord, every deed that we have done, Every careless word that we have spoken, every secret, every intention of the heart will be laid bare before the one who judges justly. If right now you are thinking, how can anyone stand on that day? The Bible is saying that everyone should be counted with the wicked. If that's what you're hearing right now, if that's how you're interpreting this, you are understanding the Bible correctly. That is what it says. So how can anybody be counted righteous? Let me tell you, again, the best news in world history. My favorite verses in the Bible. Feel these, um, starting in Romans, Romans 3, verse 23. How we might be counted righteous. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. What does this mean? This means that there is a way to be justified, to be legally counted righteous before God, to have God's stamp of approval on us today and on the last day. And the way that we receive that stamp of of approval is through faith in the reality that God put forth His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what's that mean? Whenever you come to a big word in the Scripture, look it up. Because this word, the whole beauty of this whole passage hinges on this word right here. And what this means, you guys, is that God the Father put forth the perfect, eternal Son, Jesus of Nazareth, to pay the full penalty that we deserve. He was our propitiation. He endured our condemnation. He took the judgment on Himself that we are owed. Now, Think about that. Because Malachi is telling us that anybody who has not served God, and we have leveled the playing field, that's all of us, should be set ablaze on that day. Forever. Romans 3 is telling us that Jesus took our judgment in full. Here's what that means. That for the six hours that Jesus of Nazareth spent on the cross, he wasn't just dying a physical death. The perfect, eternal Son of God was enduring the equivalent of hell in a single, concentrated dose. He was judged fully for our wickedness. This is the greatest act of justice in the world. God is speaking with a megaphone. I will not tolerate sin. This is how strongly I feel about it. But it is also the greatest act of love the world has ever seen or will ever know. Because after Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God in full and turned it over and said, it is finished, he looked on sinners and he said, Any who, anyone who would believe in me, eternal life, counted righteous. All we do, my friends, is we look to the cross and we believe that he took our, our judgment for us. And he grants us his righteousness as a gift, now and on the last day. And if you think, how does this work? Okay, let me, let me tell a story. So, um, Oregon Trail days, I'm not sure what dates that was. 1800s, probably. 1800s. Um, we'll go with that. Um, I don't know if this story is true or false, but people have different opinions. One of them is definitely wrong. Anyway, this group was headed out to um, the west, and as they're crossing the central states, a forest fire is moving across the central states. And it's coming quick, and so they're thinking, man, we need to either get back to this river that we passed about a day ago, or we've got to figure out some solution, because this fire that's coming is going to be the end of us. So finally, this one guy steps forward, he looks at this field that they've just crossed, and he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to burn out this field. So they they light this 
field on fire, and they burn it down to where it's nothing. And then this guy leads the whole company of people into this burned out area. And just before the fire gets to him, a little girl comes to, comes to the man, and he pulls on his leg and says, Sir, how do you know we're not going to be burned up? And he says, little girl, the fire won't touch us because we're standing where the fire has already been. And friend, when you put your faith in Christ, when you and I trust him, we go to where the fire has already been. He has already endured the full fire of God's judgment on the cross. And now all that's left is for those who believe in him to receive the relentless love and grace of God, to be counted righteous on that day. And that love is what he wants to extend to us. Let's get back to Malachi. I want to show you this. Chapter 3, verse 17. God says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. We're going to be spared on that day, if we believe. But not just that, we're going to be counted as his treasured possession. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about, in your heart, what is your treasured possession? What is it? Maybe it's a thing, maybe it's a person, right? Maybe it's grandkids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe whatever it is. Treasured possession. For me, I think of holding hands with my wife on the couch while we watch our little girls run and dance and sing and laugh. I love that. Just, I love that. And this is saying, you. If your faith is in Christ, you're God's treasured possession. He looks at you that way. That is awesome. When the payout comes, it will not have been in vain that we serve God. So how do we respond to this news of a coming payout? I want to give us three ways. Um, three ways to respond to this news. The first one is we serve God now. Serve God now. This is exactly how God instructs people in Malachi's day. Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So as these guys waited for the day of the Lord to come, God's saying, stay the course. Keep doing what I've told you to do. Don't grow weary. Keep plugging. And Jesus says the same thing when he's on earth, and he's telling about the second coming. He says, blessed is that servant who remains faithful before his master returns. Friend, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know how difficult it has been for you to stay the course. I don't know how tough it has been for you to serve God. I don't know how lonely it has been. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that one day, when you stand before him, and every kind word, and every act of service, and every dollar given, and every effort to advance his kingdom... When that is counted to you as treasure stored up, when that is counted to your credit as a reward, and when your Savior looks you in the eyes and commends you, oh, it will be worth it. It will be the best investment you've ever made to serve God now. So that's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do in response to this news is anticipate the payout. 
We need to anticipate the payout. Um, it brings God great glory when we are excited about what he's bringing. It honors him when his kids are excited about what he's doing for us. It shows that he's the great one. He's the one providing. And so we need to anticipate what he's bringing. It, think of it this way. So in a week and a half, me and, me and some of my best buddies are going on this golf trip. And for six months, more than six months, Banner has been going over email, trash talk, scheduling, jokes. We've got this thing dialed in down to the hour, what's going to happen in these four days. And it's going to be over until next year. Some of you guys have planned your vacations for this summer, and you're excited. You've thought about it. Right? You've spent time thinking about what's coming, because it's going to be great. We should think about that. But how much more should the Christian anticipate what's coming for us? How much more should we look forward to where we're going to spend eternity? And, and y'all, some of y'all aren't very excited about it because you got the most jacked up views on what eternity is going to be like. You think we're going to like turn into like some little feminine boy angel and like sit on a cloud and sing Kumbaya or something forever. Like, like anybody would want to do that. Um, and if you do want to do that, I hate to break it to you, that's not what's going to happen. Um, the Bible tells us that when Jesus breaks into human history, on this day of the Lord, sin will be destroyed. He will restore the earth. He will give believers new glorified bodies. We'll have eternity to explore and celebrate and to enjoy. There will be better food and drink than anywhere else ever in world history. It will be the most glorious thing with all the people that we love most and a million more that we'll spend eternity getting to know. And by far, the best part about it. We will see our Savior face to face. We'll know Him. We'll walk with Him. The payout will be worth it. We should anticipate it. And, and for some of y'all, I know you think, seriously, y'all believe this? Like really, you think God in human form is going to come back into human history riding on a white horse with a tattoo on his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he is going to wreck shop on all who have not believed in him? Y'all really believe this? Let me just tell you one reason why I believe that that's going to happen. Just like the Bible says. Look at the last thing written in the entire Old Testament. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So Malachi says, or God says through Malachi, that before this day of the Lord comes, expect Elijah. Now, do y'all think it would have been any easier for these folks that Malachi was writing to to believe this than it is for us? No easier. Just the same. After God said this, silence. 430 years. No word. Nothing. Can we really trust God? Is it really going to happen like God said? But you know who the next player in biblical history is the next major figure? A guy named John the Baptist. And listen to what the Bible says about him. 
He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then Jesus says, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. The very next thing that happened in redemptive history was exactly what God said. And so can we believe that God will wrap it up like he says it will? Oh, yeah. We would be foolish to doubt it. So we need to anticipate the payout. And then last last thing for us today in response to this news is we celebrate the sacrifice. We celebrate Jesus' sacrifice. For eternity, um, the theme of our song is going to be Jesus Christ on a cross. the, The major praise, the major object of worship in the book of Revelation is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people from every nation. We're going to spend eternity worshiping this God, who in his relentless love for us, he endured our judgment. And the beauty is, y'all, we don't have to wait to start worshiping him. In fact, we're commanded by him to remember him and to worship him now. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he took wine. He said, this is my body. This is broken for you. And and this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you. As often as you eat it and drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And he says, "When when we eat this bread, when we drink this cup, what we're doing is we're proclaiming his death until he returns. We're saying, man, if you would die for me, I believe you're coming back for me. And so in just a second, these guys are going to pass out the communion elements. Um, and if you're a Christian, here's how I'd, how I'd encourage you. Take a little bit of time to think about what the Savior went through for you. Think about the weight of the judgment that he endured for you. And then once your heart has grasped that a little bit, um, celebrate his love for you by, by eating the bread and, and drinking the juice whenever you're ready. And if you're not a Christian... We are uh, super glad you're here. We're very aware that this probably sounds very, very weird to you. Um, this probably also sounds weird to you. We think the Spirit of God actually brought you here today. Um, and so as these uh, elements are passed out, we would ask you not to partake of them because they don't mean anything for you yet. They're, they're not your only hope in life and death yet. But what we'd ask you to do instead is to consider Christ on the cross for you. Think about what the Bible has said is coming on this day of the Lord. I hope you have seen that it will not have been a bad investment to serve God. It will be the best investment any of us could ever make. Let's pray. God, we worship you as the holy God, and we see that your word says that there is none like you. We just can't compete for a second with your holiness. We are so different than you. You are so other than us. You are strong. We are weak. You are from everlasting to everlasting. Our years are 70, maybe 80. You are righteous and we are in ourselves just impure. But we praise you that As holy as you are, you are equally as loving. Your love is white hot for us. And we thank you that you have put forth your son uh, to die for us, to bear our judgment. And God, we are so glad to be counted righteous by faith. We are so glad. I pray that you would help our hearts to celebrate Christ's sacrifice now. 
pray in Christ's name. Amen. After you all take the elements, feel free to stand and worship with us.